right? Now, what's the title of that movie? That came mainly from senior adults, but I understand why. It's, it's a wonderful life. That's the title of my message this morning. It's a wonderful life. Now, isn't it interesting, Joy slipped out, but Dr. John used to call her Zuzu all the time, that little girl, because she had a voice like that when she was little. Um, but George Bailey thought, my life didn't mean much. And he thought, what would it be like if my life was gone, if I took my own life? And remember, he's on the bridge, and then... Charlie, his angel, came and appeared and all that stuff. And he showed him what his life would be like. So I thought, what would it be like if Jesus wasn't born? Because we're talking about Jesus Christ and Christmas and everything like that. Did you ever think about that? What would the world be like right now if Jesus wasn't born? Now, we know in Genesis that it was declared that Satan would bruise his heel and Christ would bruise his head. And then all through the Old Testament, you saw how Satan tried to stop the Redeemer from coming and all the things he tried to do. And then God would counteract that and Satan would do it. And almost during Noah's time, almost the world was entirely in evil except one family. And we thought, wow, Satan almost won. No, God was always in control and he preserved Noah and the Redeemer. Redeemer's line could still come, and then here we do celebrate the birth of our Savior. He really was born to die, but yet he came to give us more than this eternal life while we're here on our journey. And I have on the screen some fill-in-the-blanks. How would you fill-in-the-blank life is? Well, of course, Forrest Gump, I had to go to him, fill-in-the-blank by saying life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. M. Scott Peck began his best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled, by writing, Life is Difficult. I read somewhere that life is not, is not a dress rehearsal. You only get to live it once. Claude Pepper, an old U.S. senator, said, Life is like riding a bicycle. You don't fall off until you stop pedaling. French proverb says, Life is an onion, and one cries while peeling it. Others have described our experience by filling in the blank with it, life is a rat race, a bowl of cherries, amino acids, that's got to be from a nurse, a series of choices, a paycheck, the weekend, or a party. Why is it, folks, that we always want to reduce life in size? Why is that? Well, turn to John chapter 10. We're going to look at John chapter 10 this morning, and we're going to first look at things that are called the stealers of life, things that come in our life that steal our life away. And for many, as you turn there, for many, life is nothing more than the time spent between birth and death. That's it between birth and death. And you think about it, they, they have the drudgery of existence, the boring monotony of the routine, the hope of having enough till, until the end. Have these people bought a lie? Has their life been stolen from them? Well, Jesus here in chapter 10, drawing from a familiar uh, scene of shepherds on a hillside, keeping watch over their sheep, said in verse 10 of chapter 10 of John, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. So as we look at this, the job of the shepherd was to lead, protect, and feed his sheep. But unfortunately, as in our day, thieves and robbers came along and tried to steal the sheep and to affect the, the livelihood of Jewish shepherds. 
Likewise, folks, there are many avenues right here now in present day which we can travel down that lead not to life but to destruction. While we would never call these things thieves or robbers, they are just that. They, in their diabolical and methodical ways, attempt to destroy our relationship or attempts to, to life and to have life. So where do people then, as he talks about thieves and robbers, where do they go to find life to only find despair? Well, we're going to look at those first, the thieves and robbers of life. They're all peas, so they're easy to remember. You won't find life in pleasure. Now, pleasure's not sin, okay? Don't get me wrong. Pleasure's not sin, but you'll figure out where I'm headed with this. I've heard people say that if only I could take a cruise or retire in luxury or have their fantasies fulfilled, then they would be living. Many people have done these things and still remain empty. Their lives are empty. Solomon, the, great, the wisest man as far as a human man, in Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. So try as they may in the pursuit of pleasure, eventually the law of diminishing returns takes hold. It takes a, a, a bigger thrill or a bigger event to bring another high, but it never, never, never lasts. George Sweeting, Pastor Moody in Chicago, gave us two tests to evaluate our pleasure. First, do these pleasures encourage Christian development? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, you'll see on the screen, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. So uh, many activities may be legitimate, but do they help me to glorify my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You say, wait a minute, Pastor Mike, wait a minute. How can riding a motorcycle glorify Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you ask. First, you've got to have a Harley, not a Honda. Okay. Now, Brother Tim Ellis, I'm going to embarrass you this morning, okay? Brother Tim Ellis came to Pastor Jason and I, who ride motorcycles, and he said, I want to have a ministry and reach out to unsaved motorcyclists. And guess what he titled the ministry? For his glory. Love that, Tim. For his glory. Why? Because we are riding for his glory. We want to go and we meet at the Malaga, uh, the Wawa in Malaga, and we meet there. We've had up in 15 guys, motorcycles sometimes, and, and quite a few are unsaved, don't know Jesus. So they see a group of men, and, and, they're, and sometimes the wives come, and we're there, and we're talking and fellowshipping and laughing and having joy and peace, and, and we're not, you know, we're, we're sober, and we're going to ride together. And he always has prayer, and we take off, and, and we don't speed. Well, maybe a little, but no, we don't. We usually obey the laws, and we go and, and, and don't do crazy things. And these unsaved men see men of God riding for his glory. That's how you ride for his glory. That's what you do, because it's a, a legitimate activity, and we do that to glorify Jesus Christ. And it's worked out great. Some of these men have started asking questions to us about things of God that, that normally would never even darken the doorstep of a church. So you can glorify the Lord through pleasures. Second, that Dr. Sh uh, Pastor George Sweeney said, do these pleasures endanger Christian maturity? Paul says that second part of that 1 Corinthians 12, it says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. Seemingly then, innocent pleasures can choke out our spiritual lives. It seems that that can happen. Here, though, God's word 
it talks about another kind of pleasure, eternal pleasure, lasting pleasure, pleasures forevermore. And I love this verse, how David put it in Psalm 1611. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. When I read that, I said, when's the last time we've had a wonderful, beautiful, Holy Spirit-filled time in the presence of God? When is that in your life? Has that happened recently where you've had that and you've just sensed the presence of God in your life and that joy and peace that you can have? And then in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Are you searching for pleasures in the wrong things instead of in God's way and obedience to him? Richard Owen Roberts says the only path to pleasure is in pleasing God. So you won't find life in pleasure. You won't find life in performance. Now here, eventually workaholics we're talking about learn that the satisfaction of one job completed is short-lived. I came across the story of a Wimbledon tennis champion. He thought all his life would be complete if he just win this major tournament and, and that he, you know, it would just be life like he'd never known it before. And he won it. And guess what he said? The thrill of victory lasts 15 minutes. That's it. The thrill of victory lasts 15 minutes. So he, he realizes that performance, he didn't find it. Uh, a myth has circulated for years that says, success produces life. Now, I know we're supposed to provide for our families or worse than an infidel, as Paul instructed in Timothy, and we do that, and we, and we work, and we work hard, and we work for the Lord. But success does not produce life. The truth of Scripture states, man is always working, never satisfied. Again, from Solomon, Ecclesiastes 4.8. Then Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors of workaholism are seriously misplaced. They promise to fill our lives with joy and meaning if we gain status and wealth, but instead they leave us empty, craving more, and they ruin our most cherished relationships. The next P, you won't find life in possessions. Wow, we have a lot of possessions here in the United States. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance will, with his income. This too is vanity. Another translation, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Now, don't get me wrong. Money isn't evil. We need money. Buy a car, house, food, clothing, pay utility bills, ministries, support the church, things like that. It's the love of money that is a root of all sorts of evil, not money itself. And we have to keep that in mind. Many times, Paul Wampler has taught us the treasure principle here. And also with that, we have to be a steward of our time, talent, and treasure. So there's nothing wrong with that. But have you ever asked yourself this question concerning money? Why is it that I have more money than I have ever had before and yet have less contentment? <laughs> Think about that. We have more money than we ever had before but have less contentment. I, I, I got to meet a billionaire not President Trump. Don't get excited. I shook a hand of my sister was like Gal Friday, the, you know, 
We are the only country that has to rent facilities because we ran out of room in our garage, basement, attics, and, store, and spare room to put our stuff in, our stuff that we have, our possessions. And I went, wow, shame on us. Shame on, we're spoiled, we really are. And you're gonna see at the end of my message why I say that. My wife and I like to DVR a show called Hoarders. Now, I understand I'm not mocking because some of these people have had traumatic experiences in their life and it causes them to go into hoarding. But there are some that haven't had those traumatic experiences but have developed a life of hoarding for some reason. And I remember one lady like that, uh, her house, it, oh, it, was hor it, it was probably the worst house I've ever seen, rats and, and mice and things like that. She had cats and there was fecal matter everywhere and she couldn't get in her kitchen or her bathroom and she had a little thing she slept on. Well, when they were cleaning her house, they moved her chest of drawers and here was a carcass of her dead cat. She goes, I wondered what happened to him, he disappeared. He's under there, just died. But hoarders, folks, we are so spoiled. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell myself, I'll go to a pantry full of food, I'll go to a refrigerator full of food, and I'll say, man, there's nothing to eat. And I said, well, no, what I'm saying is there's nothing to eat that I want. So I said, oh, let's use Grubhub or something and get something I'm really craving. Spoiled rotten. I am spoiled rotten. So you won't find life in possessions. You won't find life in position. Too often people think that if they receive a certain promotion or reach a certain status or live in a certain area, they, then they would be happy. Interestingly, those people who have reached that position still have not found the secret of a fulfilling life. For example, two, two football players, Tim Tebow, because they're believers. Tim Tebow is a believer. And I think my son told me this, or somebody told me that he was at a church in Florida, and he got up and gave his testimony. Of course, he had a football. This is back when he was playing. He had a football, and he put it down and says, that's not my life. Jesus Christ is my life. My significance of life, who I am, my position is in Christ. Good thing, because we see in his career how it ended eventually, but he's still serving Jesus, he's still around, he still has significance of life. Now our own Carson, oh, he's a believer. He really is a born-again believer. Audience of one ministry. He's sitting on a bench. If football was his life, if that was his position, that's where he found significance, what would he be going through right now? But no, Christ is his life, and he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. So you won't find life in position. The last P is you won't find life in pursuits. Some people are deluded into thinking that if they stay busy enough, oh, if I just be busy and if their place of life remains at an intense level, then they will discover life. Yet all they find are stress, ulcers, ulcers and heart attack. You think about that. So these, these P's, pleasure, performance, possessions, position, pursuit, these thieves masquerade as givers of life but actually they are dispensers of destruction, disease, and death. So, if that's the stealers of life, what is the source of life? We're gonna look at that in verse 10. The truth that we know life is not found in all those things. Where is it found then? It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Boom, 
I'm going to go on, so don't pray. But we could stop because that's it. It's found in the person of Jesus. Jesus says many times and time again and time again that he is the giver of life, the author of life. In John 11:25, it says, I am the resurrection and the life. Later in John's gospel, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But the most powerful statement that he made regarding life is right here in verse 10. Look at that. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I, Jesus Christ, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. The I in this verse is emphatic, meaning that life is found in no other than him. Life is entered by no other than Jesus himself. How could this be? How could this be? For us to understand this life is entered, we must understand there's a special relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. For example, in that same chapter, verse 10, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. Well, it sounds peculiar, doesn't it? It stretches the imagination. Think, how can somebody be a gate or a door? But that's just what a shepherd does, particularly one who is devoted to his sheep. He is a door. One day I was reading in, in one of the books I have uh, about George Adam Smith. He was an Englishman that traveled the Middle East extensively. He came across a sheepfold and said to the shepherd, is that where they go at night? Well, yes, said the shepherd, and when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there is no door, said the Englishman. I am the door, replied the shepherd. <laughs> Sir George looked into him and asked, what do you mean by the door? Well, the shepherd answered, when the light has gone out and it's pitch black, all the sheep are inside. I lie in the open space, and no sheep can go out of the sheepfold unless they go over my body, and no wolf can go in to kill and steal a sheep unless he goes over my body. I am the door. So when Jesus said he is the door of the sheep, here's what he meant, that the fold has only one entrance, life has only one source, spiritual nourishment is obtained one way, Heaven can be entered through one entrance, and the single means of access to all that is life, is Jesus. Think about that. He is the door. To have a relationship with God, you have to go through Jesus. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. Eternal life is through him, having faith in what he did. It's not by works. It's not being religious. It's not being a good person. It's not following Ten Commandments. It's not praying prayers. It's not taking communion. It's none of those things. It's not religion. It is a personal relationship with Christ, saying, I accept you as my Messiah, as my Savior. I trust in you alone. For by grace you save through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. That is the bottom line with salvation as far as eternal life. That's it. All these things is found in Christ, and life and joyful life in, is found in Christ while, while we're walking here in our journey. So, the source of life. Now, the last point, the significance of life. Now, some people would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I already have life. I'm breathing. Right now, you're breathing. Your, your blood's pumping through your body, and, and you have life. I would answer yes, but not the life Jesus is referring to here. 
The life that Jesus gives is in, 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 in infinitely and eternally different than the one life that possesses now, that we life we possess now. So uh, the Greek, sometimes in the Greek language, okay, we're going a little sidebar. The Greek language sometimes has many words to describe one English word. You all know the famous word love, okay? Love. I love pizza. I love my wife. You'd say, as an English-speaking person, you would know, okay, he's got to love his wife more than pizza. But we only have one word. Now, my daughter loves Manco Manco, and she loves her dad. She may say, I love Manco Manco better than my dad. But anyhow, no, normally it's we know what that means. We say, I love you, I love this, I love that. We know the difference. But the Greeks had four, lang four words for love to describe the different tenses and things of love. Phileo, storge, eros, and agape. So it is here. Here they had six different words to describe life. We're going to focus on the two that we find in John 10. Two. The first one, the first one is bios, in which the English word biology is derived. It refers to the duration of life, one's lifespan, the time between one's birth date and one's death date. Or it refers to the necessities of life, one's food, shelter, and clothing. That's bios. The second word is zoa, in which the English words zoo or zoology are derived. It refers to life as God has it. The life that belongs to God that becomes ours when we cross the doorway of Jesus and enter to a relationship with God. It's not duration because this life is not limited by time nor hindered by death. It is not a possession but rather an infilling. God again breathing his life into us. So, when we were born, we were born with bios life. When we are born again spiritually, we are given zoa life. And until we cross the doorway of Christ and enter to a relationship with God through Jesus, we may be physically alive, but spiritually we are dead. This is where when God created, remember man, let's create man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? trichotomy that's where we get that the trinity but also trichotomy we are trichotomy beings body soul spirit our body is alive our soul which is our mind emotions conscience is alive but spiritually we are dead so that's where we have bios but we need zoa we need to be born again spiritually to be in a right relationship with god and that happens when we accept christ as our savior so that's basically what he's saying here in this scripture portion. Another thing about this verse, verse 10 is the superabundance of life. In, in the same chapter, Jesus goes on to quantify his life and have it in abundance in John 10, 10. Depending on the translation, one uses the word that is translated, abundance may be translated fullness or overflowing, but what is meant by this word? Have it in abundance means to have a super abundance of thing, of a thing. Kids want a super abundance of candy. They love candy. That's what they want. So to be a follower of Jesus, folks, to know who he is and what he needs is to have a super abundance of life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, everything becomes new. On the screen, you'll see this. There is a new vitality, a new meaning, a new energy, a new purpose, a new significance, a new outlook, a new hope, a new joy, a new life. 
that's what a relationship with Christ brings us. Then what happens is, because we're not perfect, we sin, and we clog up the pipes of our spiritual pipes of our life, and we have to confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us again, and then we come back to having that energy again, the new vitality and all those things there, and the full and filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what life is all about, the superabundance of life. Granted, this is hard to explain. It really is. Let me give you a scenario, okay? I'm going to show my age, but one time I had to rent a car for a vacation, and it was a Ford Escort. Remember those? Found on road dead, fix or repair daily, Escort, okay? That's, if you have a Ford, I'm sorry, okay? But that's what I rented, okay? And, and it, it was amazing. It got good gas mileage. It really did. And it got us from point A to part, point B. Well, one day I went up to the, to the old clerk. I said, she goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Keaton, but all the Ford Escorts are gone. Can you, will you accept an upgrade? An upgrade? No, accept an upgrade. Who wouldn't? You got to be a fool. Same price? Give me an upgrade. Absolutely. Would you mind that? No, come on, give it to me. She says, oh, I'm so sorry, but all we have left is top of the line Rolls Royce. Okay, same price? Yeah, I guess I'll suffer and take it. So here you are, think about it, you're in your Rolls Royce, you know, I'm leaning a little bit because I'm now cool, I'm cool, playing all the buds. And now, does the Rolls Royce get you to point A quicker than point A to B, quicker than the Ford Escort? No, you still have traffic signals, you have, you know, speed limit, all those things. But you get there in style, get there in luxury. People, you're on the road, people are looking at you, wow. You know, and you get to the motel and they treat you a little bit more with more respect <coughs> at the hotel than they do when you pull up in your Ford Escort. So, so as I look at that, that's one of the things that you can you think about as the upgrade. <coughs> one time I surprised Sherry going to a vacation spot. I said, I'm gonna surprise her and do first class. It was cheap, so it wasn't normal price. <coughs> So, <coughs> excuse me. So we, we had our own little line. We had TSA special check-in line. We were bored first. We got on there, the beautiful seats. You know, this is pre-COVID, of course, way back. They gave us pillow, a blanket, slippers, eye goggles, and everything, and, and all the, the drinks, endless drinks you wanted. And then we got real plates and utensils and everything like that. It was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, all the, all the poor people back there, you know. Now, did those people back there in the cheap sheets get there later than us? No. We all got to our destination in the same time. But we arrived a little more comfort, a little more style. Have you been upgraded in life? What was God up to when he sent Jesus to this earth? We know he came born to die, but what else? Upgrading life. That's what. Through Jesus Christ, he was offering to us not just good, but better. Not just full, but fuller. You see that on the screen? That's what he came to do. Not only to be born to die for salvation, for eternal life, but to upgrade our life here. And what happens is we take all those peas and we try to find life in those things and we come up empty instead of going to Christ and feeling that's where life. If I just had this, if I just had that, it's all about me, myself, and I. I'm not happy. Why? Because we're not looking to Christ for our satisfaction of life, our significance of life. We're looking at all those five Ps instead. 
Shame on us. So think of Jesus this morning as your friendly travel agent. <coughs> if you are not already on board, he would like to book a flight to glory for you, heaven as your final destination. While this ticket is free, it is free. You must receive it. You've got to receive it by asking Jesus into your heart. It's simple as that. And furthermore, while you're on the journey, guess what? As you live this life, he wants to offer you an upgrade. This is a gift too, but you must take advantage of it. You must take advantage of it. You must be obedient and follow the master. And when you do, what a wonderful life it is. I have some pictures on the screen <coughs> of our missionaries, Steve and Becky Orner. Why I have them there is because we know Steve and, and Becky. They did not find life in pleasure, performance, possession, position, pursuits. They're in Madagascar ministering. This is their house. Show the others, other one, Beth. This is the other shot of their house. This is what they're living in. Here's another shot of their little baby and, and their child, a little fire there. Then you'll see in the house where baby's smiling, just so happy. Then you see Becky with a smile. This is where she does dishes. Now Steve wrote to me recently and said he developed a, a new gutter on that house that you saw and the rainwater comes and goes in a big barrel so they can have rainwater more readily available than traveling so far to get water and bringing it back. At least they can do dishes, they put some stuff in it to purify it and things. This is Steve and Becky Warner. You think they're finding life and possessions? All the peas that we know, position, all that? No. They found life in Christ. That's why they're there, and they're sharing life with Christ. They're sharing what they have found in Christ with others who don't have Christ. And, and most important is because they know that these people are going to die and be in the lake of fire, separated from God for eternity, all by themselves. They have that in them. They want to share that. Oh, folks, may we do the same this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Father, as I was thinking about all this, if we follow, Father, your, your, just your command in obedience about doing the work of an evangelist and sharing Christ, about a fourth of COVID patients, if they came to Christ, that would surpass the great evangelizing, evangelized amount during the Great Awakening. And now, Father, with the new stats out this morning, that's nearing the same amount as the Second Great Awakening. Oh, Father, may we as a church get off our seats and go into the Delaware Valley and plant seeds. Father, some of us will never maybe have the privilege of leading someone all the way to Christ. But Lord, our job is to plant seeds, to love, to show others the, the lost world that we love one another. Father, we can't even love each other, let alone love the world. Maybe that's what we got to get and repent of. Lord, help us to do that because, Father, these people are going to hell. If Christians, Father, if we as believers showed a menial fraction of the concern for our unsaved neighbor going eventually lake of fire and punishment for eternity as we did for our neighbor getting COVID, how bold would the Christian be in proclaiming the gospel? Father, help us to ponder these thoughts this morning. Help us to find where is our life? Is it in Christ or is it in all those five Ps that we mentioned? Are they the thieves robbing life from us and we're looking for it and we realize we don't have Christ? 
oh, Holy Spirit, my purpose in this charge this morning was not to manipulate these dear brothers and sisters in Christ to act off of emotion. Lord, emotion is here today and gone tomorrow, but in obedience. Oh, Father, that's what we need. Father, may you move in our hearts and help us to see the people around us who need the Lord. Oh, Father, have a movement in our hearts during this Christmas season that we are so blessed with so many things that we see people that are lost going to hell. Help us, help us, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Megan's going to come now and finish us with a beautiful song about this message. your guest. 